I'm Kirsten Weikert, and this is SEO in 2024. Kirsten, what's your number one SEO tip for 2024? It is to really, really and truly embrace building authority and demonstrate EEAT or double EAT if you wish, meaning experience, expertise, authority and trust. We see now with AI, there is so much content flooding search results and everything really that I feel we always have a counterpart to that, which is authority building and really being the number one or two or three go-to source in your industry and demonstrating that not only to your customers, potential customers, but also Google to keep and gain visibility there. So does that mean that the counterbalance to lots of AI content is not using AI to produce your content? I think using AI can help you do things faster. But I think what becomes more and more important is your own input and, um, you know, keeping an eye on actual expertise and also doing something unique because now if everything, if everyone is doing the same things and using the same AI, content just becomes this big mash of mediocre things that we put on the internet, right? And if you think about how Google um, shows search results, then just from a logical point of view, they must differentiate in what is a good result, um, you know, what is trustworthy, what is high quality content and what is, yeah, it's informational, but it's the same old same and it's just there. So I think even with Google using AI to potentially create search results um, with SGE that's currently being tested, um, not in the UK yet, um, but we will probably see it. I think if we want to show up there, if we want to be the answer that Google provides, we can't be in the mediocre playing field, we need to be at the top. We need to be the relevant source that Google goes to, even as a source for their own AI-generated response. So therefore, yes, sure, use AI, you know, for brainstorming, maybe helping with writing and things like that. Just the more laborious tasks that you can automate and do faster. But at the same time, think about how can you improve the quality of what you're producing and how can you really stand out and be in the top of the playing field and not just another mediocre resource of information. I guess this challenge with standing out and being unique is you look at the SERP and you look at the the websites ranking for the keyword phrase that you want to rank for and you review them and you see similarities between all the sites and you see that each site is doing very similar things and then you question how unique you can be to attempt to rank for the same query. Do you, do you think you can be quite different compared with the other results out there and still expect to hopefully even be number one? I think it depends a bit on um, what your capacity is and what you're working with, right? Because of course you need to have the necessary resources to produce really outstanding and quality content. And, you know, that might not be the right way to go for for any company or for every company. 
I think for some, it might be enough to just produce content. But I think especially if you're in the field of your money, your lives or anything finance or health related, this becomes even more important because then, well, whatever you say must be trustworthy and, you know, factually correct. So I think it depends a bit on the type of business. But I do believe that you can stand out by doing things differently. Some of it will be the same. But you can create your own insights and you have your own opinion. You can work with experts. And if you don't have them internally, not everyone has a, you know, has the luxury of having all these experts within their own company. But then you can reach out, you can collaborate, you can amplify what you're doing by collaboration. And so I think it's using your well, knowledge, first of all, but second, also your creativity to really see how can you stand out. And that's not going to happen by just looking at data, which of course is really, really important. But if you just look at who's ranking here, who's ranking there, you know, just looking at numbers, that's not going to give you the edge over necessarily competitors or content competitors that are ranking for terms and topics that you want to get into. So it's really important that you also do the manual work, you go into search results, you see what is it that they are doing, you know, what is it that we could do better, is there anything we could add to this topic, something maybe that's that you can't find everywhere. So I can give you an example from what we're doing. So we're lucky that we have a lot of internal experts. So I work at Seed Legals, a legal tech company. So we usually have, you know, complex topics that we cover also a lot in the area of finance funding and those sort of topics. And of course, we have lawyers in-house, we have funding experts in-house. So there's a lot of knowledge for us to tap into. And um, so we can use our colleagues to get unique information. But also we are a platform where people do funding rounds. So we have a lot of data that is unique to us. And then we can use that for articles we may produce or reports, we can challenge what is already out there based on our data. We can, you know, start conversations. And I think that is exactly the type of thing that makes you unique and you add some more value than just saying, oh, to do a funding round, you need to do step one, two, three, right? So it's going a step further and thinking, Okay, apart from the general information that people would like to hear or read about, what else can we add that might be useful? So it could be data that we have or we have access not only to internal experts, but other experts. We can reach out to them. We can collaborate. So really bringing something new to the topic. So do you try and combine the more factual information, um, the maybe steps one, two, three that you were talking about, with opinion from your thought leaders internally on the same piece? Or would you tend to keep those pieces of content separate and perhaps use your thought leaders for blog posts and um, have more factual information in your, your product um, pages, for example? Mm, we usually combine it. And we tend to do it across our content. So, for example, if we work on an article around funding, it could start with an introduction that says, I don't know, in 2023 compared to 2022, what we're seeing from our data is this trend. And comparing that to whatever data was published elsewhere, there might be difference or it's the same. So usually we do give some insights from us also for general topics. 
if we have something interesting to add. And at the same time, yes, almost all of our content is produced in collaboration with internal experts. So we usually feature them in the article. We not only display the author on the article, we also add who, who are the experts who've contributed. We link to their profile pages. We feature them throughout the article in highlight boxes that show um, quotes from them or, you know, expert tips. And we tend to do that across different content formats. So even within a newsletter, you might find an expert highlight. We do reports on the state of funding, for example. Um, or option schemes in the UK, where, of course, it's data-led, but at the same time, each section then has insights from an expert, um, maybe their own view or something they can add from their experience, or maybe a look into the future, you know, something that um, they are predicting. And I think you can also do that with content where it's maybe not the first and obvious thing to do, but I'll give you an example. So one thing in the startup space that I think is very useful, but has been overly produced and repeated almost, I want to say, are pitch deck templates. Of course, founders, um, when they pitch the investors, they want to see what is a great pitch deck? What does a um, good pitch deck look like? And um, can I find a template online? So there are many, 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 many pitch decks you can find online. And you might think, Oh, this old thing, everyone's done it. Canva, they have their design pitch decks and I don't know, whoever else. And we thought, okay, what do these pitch decks not have? So instead of just giving the framework and maybe the design or, you know, a, a template for what founders could use, every step of it has insights from not only other founders, but also from investors. What do investors want to see? And by collaborating with investors um, for content for founders, that generated a huge amount of interest. And it's been hugely successful founders downloading the pitch deck because it was not just a good resource in terms of providing a template, but pairing that with insights from investors and what they want to see from founders during a pitch. So that is a way where you can maybe use ideas that see maybe old or, you know, they already exist. But if you find a way to make them better, yeah, there's a chance that um, you'll be successful with that. Wonderful. And you were talking a lot about internal experts there, but then I think you started talking about investors and possibly external inv and, uh, um, experts there as well. And it seemed to be a different style of content, more hero type content that you were using external experts for. Is, is that right? I mean, if you had a lack of internal experts um, as an SEO in-house. Can you turn to external experts and, and get them to contribute in a very similar way that you're, you're currently using your internal experts for? I think so. But it also, apart from finding the right people, I think it also involves relationship building. So you need to have someone who can do that. Someone who has the time for it. And maybe also the personality to reach out, you know, and um, find these people to work with. I think if you don't have the experts internally, or maybe you do have them, but they're not externally recognized as the experts, there's two things. So either you can attempt to build their profile if they're up for it. You know, you can feature them on podcasts or 
other websites and really try to build their profile. That's something we've done in the past. We look for press opportunities to basically get coverage outside of our own website that would help establish their profile as an expert. And then, of course, if you don't have anyone you can push to be the expert, you can work with external experts. So in our case, there are different types of external experts. So anything, you know, speaking to founders, having insights from other founders who have maybe started multiple businesses, sold them, you know, there's a lot of information, like really, really good, good, good content we can get from that. And again, investors as well. And I would say we probably, at least in our case, the content type doesn't really matter. We work with external people on webinars. We do a lot of those and then we repurpose that into other content formats. But generally we have, we basically have a internal contact list or database or whatever you want to call it with people we've collaborated with in the past. Could be that we've generally worked with them or they're a customer or we just reach out to them and uh, our writers know when they work on something, these are the people for each topic that they can then reach out to. And sometimes this happens just by coincidence. We were working on some content and I saw on my LinkedIn feed, a lady who's an investor, she didn't, she did a graphic on different types of funding. And I thought, oh, that would work well for something we're covering at the moment. And I shared it with our writer, with one of our writers, and she just reached out to her. She said, oh, you know, I saw your graphic. Would you mind if we use that for an ebook? That's really, really cool. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. So we featured her. We did a similar graphic. And then that's how she came to feature as an investor in our funding ebook, which then meant we could feature her on the landing page and our social media posts. Um, she shared it in her newsletter. And I got a lot of traction. So I think it's not necessarily limited to any type of content format. It's just finding the right people to contribute to the relevant things. Absolutely. And making it easy for them as well. I mean, you talk about podcasts and webinars as well as your infographic example there as well. But um, if you reach out to someone, if you've got your own podcast series and you want them to be a guest, um, then it's an easier ask, I think, just to ask them to be interviewed maybe for 20 minutes, half an hour or something like that. And if you structure the interview well, if you ask the right questions, then you can use segments of that within other forms of content that you publish on your website that you have in infographics as well. So you make it easy for them and you, you don't ask too much of them from a time perspective. Yeah, 100%. That's a really, really good point, actually. Yeah, we've noticed that. It doesn't really work if we reach out to people and we ask them, hey, do you want to be featured? What do you have to say? It hardly works. It's usually better if we schedule a call with them to interview them. We record the call. We draft, you know, the content. We draft from what they've said. We draft the quotes for them and then we send it back to them. Say, are you happy with this? You know, asking them for a sign off or if they want to make changes, also perfectly fine. But absolutely, um, I think the easiest way to do that is for us to do the heavy lifting because they don't really have time, especially investors. They're always short of time. You know, they can't be they can't be bothered to sit down and write their own, I don't know, blog article is just too yes. much of an ask. So, yeah, absolutely. Scheduling some time for interviews and also being very, very clear um, with the brief. Send that beforehand so they know what's coming. Um, also be very clear in your timelines, uh, what's happening next, 
what do you expect, by when do you need sign-off, and really, really project manage and, I guess, stakeholder manage as well. But yeah, really, really, you know, do the legwork and, and take care of all the heavy lifting and managing of it. And you can even turn a series of interviews into a book like SEO in 2024. Exactly. What a fabulous <laughs> content product. <laughs> no, exactly that. If an SEO is struggling for time, what should they stop doing right now so they can spend more time doing what you suggest in 2024? Apart from over-relying on AI. No, I'm joking. Hopefully that helps uh, cut some time. But I think uh, what you could stop doing is working in the silo. I think a lot of successful SEO campaigns are successful because you step out of the SEO bubble. And that's also something I've seen for people. People are successful when they, you know, not stuck in just the SEO tunnel, but they open up, they reach out, they find what's important to the business and then collaborate um, with other people. So I think a good time saver is maybe step back from the endless backlog and SEO roadmap, see what is the most important thing to do for the business at the moment, and then find the right people in the business to collaborate with you on that. Kirsten Reichardt is SEO and content lead at Seed Legos, and you can find her over at seedlegos.com. Kirsten, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2024. Thanks for having me. I've been your host, David Bain. Get your copy of SEO in 2024, the book, over at seoin2024.com. <laughs>